Hey everyone, Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. In this episode, I want to talk about a whole bunch of interconnected things, including self-esteem, aka your value, seeing yourself, worthiness, self-regard, self-respect, boundaries, self-criticism, judgment, and self-blame. How all of those tie in together, along with the themes of giving yourself permission to put yourself first without feeling guilty. In other words, not feeling selfish for asking for what you need or in drawing a boundary and saying no to someone else and yes to yourself. I'm going to weave all of those together into a practical way that you can begin where and where to begin, I guess, is, is going to be the practicality of it. If you're caught in a cycle of self-blame, criticism, perhaps putting yourself down, we all, we all do, it seems. In subtle ways or in bigger ways that we're aware of or less aware of. We don't realize sometimes just how much we put ourselves down and how frequently that happens. So I'm going to get into all that. I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, please check out briandohanna.com, connectwork.fun, findyourwhystory.com, and connectioncards.ca for the Kickstarter campaign that we're launching January 2018th, um, January 18th, 2019, pardon me. Would love if you feel in resonance with any of those to get in contact with me there. All right. And with that, let's dive in. So this topic of worthiness, self-esteem and value. And in coming into ourselves, moving beyond fear, putting ourselves out there, asserting our truth in the world, expressing ourselves comes from a place of releasing ourselves from judgment. Now, why do we judge ourselves in the first place? Why do you judge yourself? One of the reasons you think that that's that's the only way that you can change who you are or get to somewhere that you're not is because you believe that you need to be in resistance, which means judging something. It's like, I don't like this. That's why I want it to change. And so we keep saying, I don't like this. I want something different not accepting what is in order to get to a place where we're apparently not. And we know we could be doing better. We oftentimes aim for perfection, which is all rooted in shame. And we use perfection as an excuse to not start or to not do the thing, to make ourselves perpetually not ready. We are afraid of failing which means um, taking a hit to the reputation or self-image. So we want to maintain a way that we are perceived by other people, which is ultimately, ultimately an illusion. And then we hate on ourselves for continually not meeting the standard of where we know we could be, and we lie to ourselves. How do we lie to ourselves? We lie to ourselves by saying, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm not doing it. And in very subtle ways, and in very minuscule multiple times we say we're going to do something and then we don't do it and so we hate ourselves or criticize ourselves or blame ourselves or judge ourselves for not acting in alignment for not being in integrity with what we say what we value and what is actually true we say so we keep lying to ourselves saying i'm going to do the thing and then you don't do it versus admitting to yourself and here's how you get out of the, the BS lying self loop, lying to yourself loop, is admit to yourself. It's an admonition, which means being honest with yourself. That yes, you really want to change. Yes, you really want to do that thing. And that is, of course, true on some level. You might even really, really, really want to. Like 10 out of 10 want to. Some people are like, if they're honest with themselves, it's like, I only it's a 3 out of 10 for me. Like, if I'm honest with myself, I, I want to, but like, I'm actually not going to do it. 
And that's where we need to get honest with ourselves and say, I really want to, but I'm just not ready. And it's not the time. It might not be tomorrow or a month from now or six months from now or even a year from now. I really want to and I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready and I'm not going to do it. So I'm not going to say I'm going to do something and then not keep my commitment or promise to myself, which is part of what fuels that blame train. I should be able to, right? But I'm not. There's a judgment anytime you hear the word should. I should be able to. But you have to become very aware of your thoughts to become aware of your judgments because sometimes judgments are not spoken with the word should. They're implied. And then the, one of the big reasons is rooted in childhood. Why this self-criticism, putting ourselves down, which anytime we're putting ourselves down, remember there's a downward energy, which means that we're depressing or suppressing and suppressing and repressing. So repressed is it's now gone beyond my conscious awareness. So I'm unconscious of what I've pushed away out of the light of consciousness. So now that's the dark, it's become darkness, which just means uh, there's no light of consciousness or awareness or attention shining on that. Versus suppression is a, is a conscious pushing down, we could say, if we were to distinguish the two. So in other words, I'm consciously on some level avoiding, neglecting, or ignoring, distracting myself from something that I know I need to deal with, but I'm choosing not to right now because it's uncomfortable or unknown or scary, whatever it is. So there's this downward energy that happens in the self-blame. We're making something bad or wrong versus the expressive energy, which is up and out. So we're compacting, compressing our own expression. When we do that, it doesn't feel good. It builds up over time. And then it's just like sweeping things over under a rug. Eventually you trip. It's inevitable, whether it's a year from now five years from now, and hopefully the tripping over the rug is not something that manifests as disease in the body, as it often does, because the mind-body connection is also still not acknowledged by the Western medical system. What if they're one and the same? This is what we see. I believe one of the terms is called psychosomatic disorders, or whatever we want to call it. You know, Labels don't really mean as much for me personally, because I believe that we can get caught up in them. Anyways, internalization is when we take on, as children, um, we our authentic self-expression. Let's say you're being joyful, for example. Could be a positive or negative expression of yourself. Could be a word you say or sentence or something that you're doing or an emotion that you have. Anything that just naturally happens. If for some reason that is made bad or wrong or met with some kind of pain or punishment from anyone in your life, and then they say maybe that's okay for some reason, or you just don't know why and you're confused. Confusion is something that is a really interesting emotion that is kind of attached to a bunch of other emotions that come in layers when we internalize, there's a confusion that happens when we learn that some aspect of how we're authentically being is not okay, unacceptable, disapproved of, unacknowledged, not recognized, ignored or invalidated by someone in our life. So they must not be wrong they're an authority figure. We rely on them, sometimes even dependent on whoever that is, primary caregivers for survival, or just authority figures like teachers or other big, big players in our life and education. And so we look for the cause of the pain that we feel. And it can't be them because we need to rely on them for survival. We can't say you're wrong. Don't do that to me. We don't have the awareness when we're young, right? So we develop a coping mechanism or a strategy or an adaptation, it can be called. And we say, well, if 
that they're saying this isn't okay, or I learn that I, I'm in pain, I look for, the, for what's wrong. And I assume as a child, it's me. I must be wrong or bad. That's internalization. Something outside of me that now I take on. I make it about myself. There must be something wrong with me. I must need fixing or changing. So we enter into an agreement unconsciously at the time that says, it's not okay to be this way. So I'll just show you what is acceptable. I'll hide away or fracture or dissociate from this aspect of my consciousness for the purposes of survival, to maintain the attachment relationship. But ultimately we're left in pain because we fractured from our whole self, an authentic aspect of ourselves. So now we don't feel whole or complete And we blame ourselves for it. I must be wrong and bad. Identification with I am bad is what Brene Brown and some other researchers call shame versus guilt is the behavior that I did was wrong or bad. But guilt and shame we all have in some way, shape or form because we learned through the process of socialization who we needed to be, who we were supposed to be in order to fit in, be liked, be normal, be average, not be disconnected from and to survive, all of those things. So I'm using a lot of different similar words. Whatever words resonate with you are the ones that you can use for yourself to help you understand what happened in childhood that is created, how you're showing up today. There are some people out there who have learned to only feel valuable when they are achieving. The only thing they know how to do in order to get the attention that they so desperately want, consciously or unconsciously, is to achieve, is to do. But ultimately, no amount of doing will fill that void. So what actually needs to happen is healing. Healing meaning returning to wholeness, meaning reconnecting with or integrating that fractured aspect of our consciousness from childhood. There are many layers to this. And it's an intuitive process that you can walk through with someone like me other types of facilitators and healers. Because there is a beautiful innocence in you that is very scared. And that's something we need to admit to ourselves too. I'm scared. And so even when we hear something like this and you get the sense, ah, oh, this is what I need, you can be even more scared. And you know, this is the interesting thing about like my website, for example, some people will try so many other things other than what they know somewhere deep down consciously this is going to work and that's why I'm scared of it because I'm going to actually face the thing that I've been avoiding through all of the other things so I'd rather try everything else and that's okay. No judgment. It can take you. I said to someone who made a commitment to me on New Year's, 
I said, you know, if you, you want to do it, you have the capacity to make that commitment to yourself, to me, to others. This was in getting this person to do something versus um, actual healing. Something they'd been talking about for a long time, but not done. Years, right? It can turn into decades sometimes where we avoid things, whatever it is for you. It's just important to admit to ourselves, I'm not ready. That's okay. And that's where they say, a rose is still a rose from the time it is a seed to the time it blooms. And so what we can feel in us is our whole potential. So it's important to really eliminate comparison, which fuels shame, guilt, and shame. Secrecy, silence, judgment, comparison, right? Fuels guilt and shame. Because we say, I'm not there yet. Look, I should be there. There's this standard that we have of how other people are putting up appearances. And then we say, look, this is why I'm not good enough. And so we, we look for evidence. Notice what you're, you're searching for. Evidence of. This is why I can't. This is why I shouldn't. This is why I'm not enough. Look, look, you tend to find what you're looking for. So what else would you prefer to look for? Where else would you like? What other questions would you like to ask? So in order to draw a boundary, to start to wrap some of these themes together, in order to draw a boundary, what do you have to first feel? Your worthiness, your self-esteem. You have to be able to see your own self. Brene Brown says worthiness has no prerequisites. In other words, you don't need to do something in order to be worthy. Like the like this high achiever doing addicted to achievement type person. Which appears to be very happy and outgoing and very successful on the outside. But deep down, they're not fooling themselves. They might be fooling other people. They're not fooling themselves. These types of people can often be on antidepressants. Even though on the outside, they're very successful. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. And yet they still feel something's empty, missing, wrong, painful, whatever. Scared of being fraud, whole bunch of things. So in order to draw a boundary, you have to first be able to stand on your own solid ground. This is self-confidence, right? Self-reliability. To not question or doubt oneself. To trust one's own opinion, intuition, gut, heart. Because when someone asks us something, in order to say no, that's very hard for some people. The way that you say no is by valuing your own opinion more or as much as that other person's. So you're standing for yourself is what you're doing. And you're asserting yourself. You're being sincere with your truth without being scared to do so. That's empowerment. It feels really good. Ah, I'm saying what I need to say. I'm not scared. I know I'm not going to hurt them, right? Because you're trusting your own good intentions. If you're scared of hurting someone else, that's just you not trusting your good intentions. That's you just out of practice. That's okay. You haven't built up the resilience or reference experiences in the past to say that that's going to be okay yet, but you will the more you start doing that. And a boundary is always, if it's you're asking a question and you're tuning in with your own self, checking in with your own needs and wants, 
then it's a no to someone else is always a yes to yourself. And we usually focus on the, it's a no to them. Oh my gosh, I'm hurting them. I'm taking something away from them. But you can't take something away from an empowered person. You can't upset an empowered person like that. They might feel a feeling, but they will ultimately, because they are honoring their needs, they'll also respect and honor your needs. That's why anyone, anytime anyone says a no to me, I say thanks for respecting what you need. Some people would rather other people overextend their own boundaries to sacrifice something of themselves to like, let's say, use the example of a birthday party. You know, we feel so pressured to show up for people sometimes. And it's good sometimes, of course, to go out of our way for other people. It's not about you always being happy. This is, we're talking about empaths here, not narcissists. I always make this distinction. Empaths need to honor more of what they need because they so feel and overextend themselves sometimes, you know. So the example of the birthday party, sometimes some people would have other people overextend themselves to come to my birthday party. You should be here. You have an obligation. There's a pressure. There's an expectation. It's personal. You don't like me if you don't. You should be able to. Really? Or we make assumptions about why people can't and then we judge them. That's all our own insecurities and judgments showing up. For me, I'm like, don't come if you don't 1000% want to. I want you to come for yourself just as much as me, whether it's my birthday or anything I do. Don't come to please me. Pleasing people never feels good. You have to go for yourself. In the same way, a stand-up comic, if all they're trying to do is just please the audience, but they're not having a good time, it just doesn't work. The audience wants the comedian to be having a good time. That's half of it. So we've talked about the self-blame and where self-judgment comes from is internalization and socialization. That affects our self-esteem, which is our, our value. Because a lot of us don't see our own selves clearly, which affects our ability to assert boundaries. Empowerment cannot exist without boundaries. Brene Brown said in a really great talk on empathy and compassion, the most compassionate people were the most boundaried in her research. The most compassionate people were the most boundaried. In other words, the most compassionate meaning like welcoming understanding, uh, loving people were those who knew how to and actively asserted their boundaries. In other words, said, no, I can't. And because they're able to say, no, I can't right now, I really want to, but I can't. That's a sincerely drawn boundary. I'd really love to, but I can't right now based on what I need. I'm not going to overextend myself which is where the compassion comes from. Because I haven't overextended myself, I'm actually available now. Versus some of us just have that cup held upside down, just emptying the cup, giving from nothing, exhausting ourselves, caregiver burnout, overextending, taking responsibility for things that aren't actually ours, feeling guilty for not being able to do even more. Where do you think that's rooted in? Self-esteem, worthiness. I feel inadequate. I'm not enough if I don't. I'm not a good person if I don't. I should be able to give to others more. And any little ounce I give to myself in the way of time, attention, care, that's selfish. We label that as selfish. We judge that as selfish. And that's just wrong. That's not being selfish, putting yourself first. This is why two of the top permissions in the Power of Permission book are the permission to put yourself first and the permission to disappoint others or upset others because putting yourself first goes hand in hand with upsetting others and disappointing others, letting them down, frustrating them. Sometimes you're not doing that on purpose. You're just saying yes to you sometimes for the first time in a long time. And it, you feel tend to feel guilty for not for saying no to other people. Because we keep that kind of codependent loop open sometimes. 
when we take on responsibility for others and we are their truck and they're a trailer and we keep letting them latch on and we pull them along for the ride and then we wonder why we're having such a hard time and we're exhausted and we're slightly getting resentful it's like well you're pulling people along you're taking responsibility for things that aren't yours because you feel too guilty and not valuable enough to say no i can't right now i need to live my life i need to figure out what excites me i need to figure out what i want and need and then ultimately finally when you start to see yourself clearly or when you're so a lot of people wait till they're like so overexhausted or frustrated but they finally start to cut those ties a little bit well what do you think those people who have been being pulled the whole time what what's their reaction of course it's upset and disappointment you've been pulling them along you're not doing that anymore you're not enabling that behavior anymore but we allow them to mature or to grow up or to whatever words we want to use from their trailer into their own truck to allow them to empower themselves. And this is when that that rescuer, victim, hero dynamic comes into play sometimes. Being the rescuer versus letting them come into themselves, reflecting back to them, honoring what you need, communicating consciously. So there's a lot of pressure to show up a certain way. And just because everyone else is doing it or being a certain way does not mean you need to continue to show up that way. This is the keeping up with the Joneses effect. And everyone else is bitter and resentful towards you for finally putting yourself first sometimes in your social group. Because they wish they could do the same thing, but they're not ready. So you have to show them the way by giving yourself permission first. This is where being a leader comes into play. To be the living example of what you know and believe rather than talk about it or coach others on it. Be it already for yourself. Be it for yourself first, please. Because words don't teach, experience teaches. This is Gandhi, right? Be the change. Be it. Speak from the place of living it. So this is what we all strive to be, is a role model of what is possible. Especially as parents, I find. I hear that a lot as parents. I want to show my kids. I have to role model it for them because we learn by example. So if I don't put myself first, how do I expect my kids to? If I don't go after my dreams, how do I expect my kids to? If I don't consciously express my emotions, how do I expect my kids to? If I don't forgive myself, how do I expect my kids to? I have to live it. I have to be the living example. I get to be the living example. Thank you, children, for helping me want to be better for myself and for you. It's amazing. It's just a lot to take ownership of sometimes. Because it's disentangling ourselves, detaching ourselves so that we still care instead of caretake. Caring means I love you and I want the best for you, but I caretaking is I'm taking responsibility for your well-being. And all parents have that at a certain point in time, but eventually our kids get to a certain age where we need to release that responsibility. It's not ours anymore. They were fully dependent, now they're not, so we're releasing that responsibility. And as you release that responsibility, you come into personal growth being your priority now for yourself, and that is not selfish. You've done your amazing, 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 amazing job. So I'm to pull in the reins a bit. Now you've got more time and energy for yourself, 
which also happens to resource you more powerfully to show up for your kids in the way you want to. So it actually ends up really benefiting them when you pull in the reins. But it feels so counterintuitive because you feel guilty. You feel like, I've been doing these things. Are they going to be able to for themselves? I don't know. You know? So codependency is a word that's thrown around quite a bit once you get into your own personal growth work. Codependency being a dysfunctional way of meeting your needs through relationship where I don't know how to meet my own needs without that person versus relying on and having someone meet my needs in relationship doesn't have to be dysfunctional. That can just be interdependency where we're both giving ourselves each other something, but we're not reliant on that where if we lost that, we're willing to do anything just to keep that going. And that's the unhealthy kind of attachment relationship or dysfunctional way of being in relationship is when we lose ourselves and don't know who we are without that person. And so there that comes that neediness in codependency. Where if one person distances themselves, the other will tend to follow, even if it's an abusive relationship sometimes. And so once you heal that within yourself, you no longer need them, but you want them. And you get to engage in the relationship in a healthy way. And desire is much sexier than need. So you get to feel whole and complete and free and consciously choose from that place within you of wholeness, freedom, peace, inner peace, to be with that other person, to give and to receive fully. In Imago therapy, they call it passionate friendship. Once you've moved to the stage of romantic love, passionate friendship, which is always a choice. And so realizing that fear never goes away, let's pretend it never goes away for you or for anyone for a second. Then the way to deal with fear is to know that you've got your own back no matter what, that you can rely on yourself, which is the confidence that we want, which stems from self-trust, which stems from seeing yourself clearly, which stems from valuing yourself and your own life, which stems from being grateful for who you are and what you have. which stems from all of those actions that are a reflection of what you know and believe and see in yourself. In other words, just like I've mentioned in other podcasts, throwing a stone into a pile builds up over time, can build up into a hill, into a mountain. So there's all these reference experiences that your brain gets when you acknowledge all those little instances where you try and assert that boundary where you try and express versus push down or avoid or neglect or numb and it builds up over time for you you be able to feel what you know because deep down just like i said with the roses 
always arose, no matter what stage it's in, deep down you know that you are valuable and that you can trust yourself and that you are infinitely supported, that you are powerful, that you are loving, that you are at peace, that you are whole and complete. You already know that on some deep or whatever level, doesn't matter. You already know that. That's why you're listening this far. And now it's just allowing yourself you know something that just came up for me as i said allowing yourself to release yourself from judgment and blame sometimes it's very hard to do that and you can't it's you can't do that sometimes i, I hesitate to say the word can't it can be very challenging unless you've actually healed that internalized wound Because once you draw a boundary that wasn't drawn in the past, your innocence feels safe to integrate itself back with you. You say no when no was not said. What happens when you don't say no when a no is what was true for your body? You get hurt. Hurt builds up over time into sadness, anger, confusion, and then ultimately fear. I'm not safe because I'm not honoring what's actually true here. So no wonder I don't trust myself. I have no reason to trust myself. I keep abandoning and rejecting myself to please other people. No wonder I don't feel safe. I have no reason to feel safe. I have so many reference experiences that say I am willing to go beyond and not even check in with what I need for other people. And then I blame myself for that. It's a very vicious negative cycle to be in. So there's this beautiful innocence in you that you just keep rejecting and abandoning in subtle ways. And so it really all begins with self-connection, reconnecting with those disconnected, dissociated, fractured aspects of our consciousness. And that's what this longing, this feeling of something missing, this endless need to consume, which comes in the form of buying things as much as it comes in the form of how we consume content on social media. How long can you sit in a room, right? Even with your eyes open, it doesn't have to be eyes closed and like quote unquote meditating, just sit in a room, just look around. It becomes uncomfortable. It becomes boring. It becomes whatever. Because there's this jitteriness of like, gotta do something can't sit still agitation very uncomfortable for people to sit still not just because of physical pain i know i've got physical pain i've had chronic pain for some time i can still sit still because it's not just about your body it's about your mind And it's about your soul calling you back into wholeness, alerting you, hey, unfinished business. And then we say, I thought I dealt with that. 
Well, I guess you didn't. That's the most common thing I hear from people that I work with. I thought I dealt with that. I thought it's not a big deal. I guess it is. Because it's coming up. It's what's alive. I guess it is. So it doesn't matter if you want it to be done. It doesn't matter how many times you've worked on it. If it's alive, it's alive. It's calling you for a reason. Alive meaning it's drawing your attention. It's giving you the old knock, knock, knock on the door. Please pay attention to me. It's the warning before you trip over the carpet saying, you don't have to wait until you can't avoid it. You don't have to. You can, though. But eventually, life will bring you back on track. It will force you eventually. But it does the gentle nudges as long as it can until you listen. What are you listening to? Your body. How do we listen to our body? You gotta slow down and pause. Most of us don't even know what pausing or stillness is. Most of us don't even know what listening is. And maybe I shouldn't say don't even because that's almost like a judgment. It's just we don't because we haven't paid attention because we are always doing something. We're always busy. And this is, this is half of the value of meditation. Such a huge value of meditation is just the literal intentional time to pause for 30 seconds, let alone for a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever the length of your meditation ends up being. Meditation meaning the practice of being instead of doing. We have to practice being. Being means existing without doing something. And to find out what that's actually like. I've meditated for some time now and usually around the 15-20 minute mark of my eyes closed, sitting still, is finally when things settle down. And I didn't realize how loud things were or how crashing the waves were until they settled because we get desensitized in the same way you get desensitized to the noise of your refrigerator or just ambient noises in the house, maybe vents, whatever it is. Your brain or your being learns to tune certain things out that it doesn't need to pay attention to because it can only take in so much information at a time. And there's mass amounts of information coming at us nowadays more than ever before. If you took all of the information up till the year, I think it was 2000 or 2004, from the beginning of mankind up until that point, this was research done by Google, that amount of information now comes at us every day. And that was like years ago when this study was done. So... And the information comes in as many forms as from color to obviously social media, signs out on the street getting our attention. There's just everything's information, but your brain can only process so much at once. So we're overstimulated and we're overwhelmed. And we are so overstimulated and overwhelmed that we can barely even notice. <laughs> it's really crazy. That's how bad the problem is. We don't even notice. Until you pop your head above water and you realize you were drowning. And there's some of us in the conscious community who have been had our head popped out for a little while. Very aware of things that other people aren't aware of whether it be your own thoughts or something else. And there's a balance between helping others bring awareness to that which they're not aware of without 
rescuing them versus just being that living example and not worrying about others, knowing that the best way you can help others is by shining your light. And so I feel like that's a shift that I've made more. Still obviously doing the one-on-one work and events, but find your why story. And then this trip to Nepal that I'm taking is a lot about the latter, which is following my highest excitement, being the living example, putting all of my time and energy into me. And that's really what we're tipping into. The way that we're giving is changing. From giving and overextending, whether it be through gifts or time or service, to the way that we're serving and giving is by giving of ourselves to the world through being ourselves fully, through putting ourselves first without feeling guilty or selfish. And that is the greatest service. Is being who you are fully, coming fully alive. Rather than trying to help other flowers grow, just bursting into your own brilliance and saying, here I am. I'm amazing and I love myself. And you can be amazing and love yourself too. And I have no attachment or need for you to rush that process because it's happening no matter what. It's inevitable. And so what those of us who have actualized perhaps what we could say more of our potential and I hesitate to even use those words. I'm looking at my wall of greats. I've got over 50 people that I love and admire, consider mentors and teachers to me. Eckhart Tolle, Simon Sinek, Lisa Rankin, Gandhi, Einstein, Brene Brown, a whole wide range of people. Or just other spiritual teachers like Matt Kahn, Bentina Massaro, Teal Swan, whether spiritual or not, in how they define themselves or how we know them. What these people do can help us avoid pitfalls in having lived this journey up until this point. Anyone who is a little earlier on in the journey can benefit from the lived experience. of those who we could say are quote unquote further ahead. And I hate to use those words of further behind or further ahead because they can imply for some people, if you don't hear it right, judgment of one being better than another, but just like any kind of plant is a plant that's bigger versus smaller, better or worse. No, it's just earlier or further in its development and it will get there in its own time in its own way. And so ultimately, you know, this the ultimate spiritual teaching that we come back to is when you understand yourself as a vibrational or spiritual or intangible being that is internal and in, in, internal, eternal, infinite, infathomable awareness, whatever we want to call it, then if I'm not living in my highest expression, fullest expression, then I must have forgotten somewhere along the way who I am. Again, pointing to who I learned to be instead unlearning that and revealing what's already there. And that's the weird effort to get to the effortlessness. I have to effort in order to unlearn or break old patterns and install the new ones and beliefs and patterns 
that are actually in alignment which with it which with what is already there and that's why this process of becoming or returning to i liken to michelangelo's quote inside every block of stone is a statue and it's the job of the sculptor to reveal what's already there and so you're just chipping away that which you are not which obviously takes some doing and some effort in that way but ultimately what's underneath is effortless because it's who you are you don't have to try to be that you don't have to try to be it breath of fresh air right oh i don't have to try to be myself oh that's good but i'm so used to being who i'm not kind of scary taking off those coats of conditioning those layers of conditioning i said coats because i've referred to a, a metaphor in some of my other episodes which i highly recommend if you liked this one as well each episode fills in different gaps different words different combinations of how we move through the same theme of ultimately feeling good so you want to feel good, right? Here's why you don't. Here's what you can do to feel better. Be yourself. Because <laughs> we've learned not to be. To please other people. And that's okay. Don't need to blame yourself for that. Happened to all of us. All right, so I'll end it there, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope that was of massive value to you. That's why I record these, so that it does bring you as much value as I physically can. And then if you need any help with it, of course, I would love to be a part of your journey. And that's what BrianTohanna.com is all about. And then uh, if you want to follow me in any of my other places, connectwork.fun findyourwhystory.com and connectioncards.ca. You can check out my other projects that I'm currently working on. I would love for you to join me if any of them feel in resonance. And of course, like, share, comment. Super, the best way to, if you were to ever repay me for this value or reciprocate, I should say, is to like, share, comment with others who who can benefit or let me know give me a shout out there's so many people who listen and uh, follow me sometimes without actually letting me know which is just really great if you feel inspired to to give a shout out or to pass it on it means a lot to me all right thanks for listening see you next time <laughs>